live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman and Kirk Crosby live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that networks refuse to use, no doubt, continues now. This is the broadcast for February the 28th in the year of our Lord, 2020. This is our two at two, and the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country on your radio. As you know, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. It is a freedom-loving, fantastic Friday. We're taking America back one heart, one mind, one issue at a time. By the way, LovingLiberty.net presents... And welcomes Jeanette Finnicum tonight at Liberty Hall, 6 p.m. It's free. She'll be talking about her lawsuit against the government for murdering her husband. They'll also show the documentary film Dead Man Talking, talking about Lavoie Finnicum, a constitutionalist that was murdered by his government. It all happens tonight, 6 p.m. Where? Far West, Utah. Liberty Hall is the place. It's free be there. All right, without further ado, our guest, Pete Sepp, National Taxpayers Union, normally joins us on Thursday, but he's here on Friday because he's live at CPAC. Welcome back, my brother. Hey, great to be here, and what an event we're having. I mean, even though there's the specter of coronavirus uh, hanging over us all here with the crowds and whatnot, uh, ah, Coke. they have not diminished. They have not diminished. And, uh, in fact, uh, that was a topic that Mick Mulvaney, the uh, acting White House chief of staff and OMB director, brought up this morning in a very early session. Uh, you know, I'm primarily interested in the fiscal policy aspects of this event. And, uh, of course, as a congressman, Mick Mulvaney was one of our top scorers on our annual rating of Congress. So uh, he certainly knows fiscal policy in and out. I, I frankly think he should be the full-time director of OMB, along with Russ Vogt, who's the acting director. They would make a heck of a good fiscal policy team. They're doing their best, though. Yes, and at CPAC 2020, happening right now, ladies and gentlemen, GOP reps are warning that the Democrats will never stop trying to take down take down Donald Trump in the wake of the impeachment. Uh, that's on their minds as well. And the reason that matters is because there'll be a huge economic impact uh, if we, quote, switch horses in 2020, Pete. Well, yes. And I'm not here to talk about which candidate is ideal over the other, but you have to face facts. The executive branch now has a lot of power because of George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and now Donald Trump using executive orders and other types of policies to shape the way we look at fiscal issues, taxes, spending, and the like. The issuance of rules surrounding statutory laws are becoming as important as the laws themselves. And you could very well imagine a President Warren, a President Sanders, a President Buttigieg, even a President Klobuchar, supposedly the moderate candidate among Democrats, repealing vast parts of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, not by convincing Congress to do it, but by enacting new, different kinds of implementation rules that will thwart the original intent of the law. Via executive edict, really, right? Yes, exactly. 
And I, I can tell you the rules surrounding how businesses declare their international profits were written in a way under this administration that makes sense. You could very easily see any of the Democrats as president undoing those rules with rulemakings of their own. And suddenly the tax savings that have made our businesses thrive and by extension, workers and shareholders thrive. And you've got to blame all presidents over the last 50 years or whatever for this drive towards this idea that presidents can just take, you know, uh, authority and law into their own hands and make whatever edicts they want to from the, quote, Oval Office. Congress needs to step up and demand that stops. And Congress needs to be the legislative branch to say, hey, we're in charge of legislation here. Uh, If we agree on something and we agree to fund it, President, you can carry it out if it meets your muster, if you will. But we need to go back to the checks and balances is your main point, right? Yes. And this is a basic constitutional principle that I think we need to be discussing more at events like CPAC, because we're very easily tempted to say, well, Donald Trump is in office, so let him have the power to do what he will and make sure that uh, taxpayers are protected and their interests are advanced. Well, I'm happy about the outcomes. I am not happy about the processes. Well, and let's not let's not in the name of expediency um, destroy the process uh, because we'll what do they say, rue the day when that happens? Yes. Yes, absolutely so. I mean, we're seeing that with trade policy. After all, uh, a constitutional government could be funded properly through good tariff policy. But what we've seen instead are unilateral policies that are increasing tariffs far above what we would need and no action to repeal taxes that are currently funding the government to excess. But I would be for reducing a lot of those taxes and have the tariffs, because I think that's the constitutional way to go about it. Yes, Yes, exactly. And unfortunately, we're not having that discussion. Instead, we're having the executive branch take powers to levy tariffs and pursue trade policies that I don't think our Constitution envisioned, certainly not our founders. All right, there's the pushback. It's not a pushback against Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen, specifically, or the Republicans or the Democrats. Okay, this is Pete Sepp of the National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org, live from CPAC. And what we're talking about is constitutional principles here. And we're talking about the way the checks and balances were intended to work, envisioned by our founding fathers. And we want to dig back into the archives of understanding and make sure that we uh, put that forward today as a legacy uh, to follow uh, for the safety of the nation, regardless of which party, which person, which whoever's in power. We want to make sure the system works for our children and our grandchildren, and that's what this is about. I'm a little surprised they didn't cancel CPAC over the coronavirus. Turns out that leadership's sessions uh, of the General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have been postponed over the coronavirus. And it also looks like Facebook cancels this huge thing called F8, which is one of their huge developer conferences. They canceled the whole thing. It's biggest event because of coronavirus, so I'm a little surprised they didn't cancel CPAC over this, Uh, Pete. Yes, yes, and of course, the people participating in this event, and I've seen uh, their their name tags, I've seen uh, other identifying badges that they're wearing, they're coming from all over the country. This isn't just a Washington-centric event, although there are a lot of 
like young people from schools in the area coming to attend. Uh, they really are coming from all over, uh, not only California, uh, Alaska and Hawaii. I've seen people from uh, those states. I've seen folks from other countries here attending CPAC, and that's very encouraging because, as you know, uh, we've been uh, having a leadership role in something called World Taxpayers Associations. And so while I'm here, I'm able to tell folks from other countries, did you know that there's probably a taxpayer group in your own country that's fighting for the rights of the people who pay for your government. And if there's uh, not, we'll help you create one. That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, that's one of the very useful things about attending CPAC is that you meet activists or people who don't know that they're activists yet, (laughs) who certainly can become activists. It's not that difficult. It does require an investment of time. It requires a commitment to whatever issues that you care about the most. For me, it's fiscal policy. For others, it may be Second Amendment rights, uh, whatever it is. You've got to have that commitment. You've got to be able to invest time. You don't necessarily have to invest a lot of money. And uh, that's something that a lot of people think that they need to do in order to form a taxpayer group at the local level. No, it it does not cost that much. What it takes is so-called sweat equity. Enough people who are willing to do research or go door to door or make sure a local business can donate some meeting space. Well, let me tell you what we've done, Pete, that I think is incredible. A lot of activists are like, you know what? I don't know the ins and outs. I'm not a rocket scientist. I don't know everything about it. I don't dare get started. And so they feel kind of trapped. They want to do something, but they don't know how, and they don't feel like they can afford it. They feel like it's beyond them, if you will. However, because of folks like National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org, you've almost created, I don't want to call it a franchise, because it's not literally a franchise, but that principle comes to mind to say, hey, we've got the blueprint to help you be successful. We've got the support mechanism. We can put you on the ground and duplicate this thing in a meaningful way. And even if you may not be an expert at something, you know what? You can learn a little bit as you go. You can draw on this vast experience that we have. It will help you get into business. It's not really a franchise in a literal sense, but it, it is akin to that in terms of the ease of crank up and ease of getting um, the agenda started and then attract the right people to support the effort. Uh, it, it's almost franchisable, if you will. Yes. Yes, it certainly is. And it can start with something as easy as taking a look at, oh, your local water district. Suppose they want to levy a tax on your water and sewer service. Well, what do you start to uh, your, your research on? How do you gin up opposition if you think this is unfair? Well, those are not necessarily questions that start from zero. Other communities have done this. They know how to make freedom of information requests to get records and transactions of the sewer district to see if they're spending money wisely. Uh, we know how citizens can utilize local ballot measure processes to say, hey, wait a minute, before you jack up our water bills, we want a referendum. Ladies and gentlemen, Pete Sepp has been in this fight for as long as I've known. 25 plus years we've been interviewing Pete and going to his conferences and participating because they're one of the greatest organizations making a difference. They're nonpartisan. They're nonpolitical. They are about putting more money in the family pocket. And there's a gazillion ways to do that at NTU.org. Pete, live from CPAC in seconds on Liberty Roundtable, live.
you've heard the name Lavoie Finnicum. Now, hear Lavoie Finnicum in his own words. Honor the Republic. Uphold this Constitution. Let us quit talking. Please take peaceful action. That is why I'm here. Liberty Hall Lectures presents Dead Man Talking, screening and fundraiser. Come together with us to view the newly completed DVD series, Lavoie, Dead Man Talking, Episode 2, Friday, February 28th at 6 p.m. at Liberty Hall in Far West Utah. Come meet Lavoie Finnicum's widow, Jeanette. Learn about her mission to bring about justice for the wrongful murder of her husband. That's Friday, February 28th, 6 p.m. at Liberty Hall, 3677 North, Highway 126 in Far West Utah. There's no need to RSVP. Admission is free, and your generous donations are appreciated. Join us Friday, February 28th at 6 p.m. at Liberty Hall. This event is sponsored by One Cowboy Stand for Freedom, the Center for Self-Governance, and the Loving Liberty Radio Network. for Moral Law is a nonprofit legal foundation committed to protecting our unalienable right to publicly acknowledge God. The Foundation for Moral Law exists to restore the knowledge of God in law and government and to acknowledge and defend the truth that man is endowed with rights not by our fellow man, but by God. The Foundation maintains a twofold focus. First, litigation within state and federal courts. Second, education conducting seminars to teach the necessity and importance of acknowledging God in law and government. How can you help? Please make a tax-deductible contribution, allowing foundation attorneys to continue the fight. You may also purchase various foundation products as well at morallaw.org. Located in Montgomery, Alabama, the Foundation for Moral Law is a nonprofit, tax-exempt 501c3, founded by Judge Roy Moore. Please partner with us to achieve this important mission, morallaw.org. Back with you live, Pete Sepp, National Taxpayers Union, on your radio live from CPAC. You can make a difference. You can get involved. And there are people who will help you. And it's not expensive. You know, a lot of people feel stymied by that. Hey, it's just too complicated. No, it's not. And we can help. NTU.org. And Pete Sepp is meeting people from all over the world. Now, I want to tell you the biggest catastrophic problem relating to the coronavirus, Pete. Do you know what it is yet? Huh. Well, I know on my end, it's the rush to uh, fund things that haven't even been thought of yet. But uh, let's let's by, gov- by government, you mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of accusations saying, well, the administration hasn't asked for enough funding to combat this. Well, do we know what we're going to spend it on? Well, we don't. But even if you ask for more funding, then they criticize him and say you asked for too much funding. I mean, the guy can't win. Yeah, yeah he, he said he wanted, what, $2.5 and Schumer said, well, you need 8.5 or something like that, right? Yes. and uh, I think they ought to throw a billion into Liberty News Radio to combat the coronavirus. Because <laughs> let me tell you the biggest problem for the coronavirus since it all started. You ready? Yes. They say it could cause a Coca-Cola shortage, sir. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you right now, we got to do something to help the Coca-Cola people. Now, I'm joking, uh, being facetious, demonstrating the absurd by being absurd, but that's the kind of stuff that they're really kind of asking for funding for, isn't it? Maybe not that exact example, but it is that absurd. Well, and it's unfortunate because there is a role for government here in coordinating public health assets. 
But there's also a role for encouraging people to be prepared rather than be panicked. And uh, I, I think that we have to differentiate those two, and we have to have a plan. And again, why don't we ever ask this question? If there is an urgency like coronavirus where government needs money to do more, can't we ever identify something of a lower priority so that we don't add to the deficit when we spend money on the urgent thing. In other words, let's stop building bridges to nowhere and use the money appropriately. And Rand Paul and you and many others have made those points forever, but it seems like it's falling on deaf ears, Pete. Yeah, oftentimes it does. And uh, I would hope that at this point, as Congress is saying, oh, you're not spending enough money on this, well, let's take them up on it and say, okay, how much would you spend? Where would you do it and why? And how are you going to pay for it? Not by raising other people's taxes, but by actually reducing funding on things government shouldn't be doing. Wow. Let me give you an example here. Debt held by the federal government grew by more than a trillion dollars in 2019 alone. That's according to the Treasury Department data. Do you got more on this, Kurt, real quick? Well, I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to say where the dollars, top buddy. is, but that's what they say it is. And I'm sure Pete Sepp from the National Taxpayers Union, the president there, would know a lot more about all the unfunded mandates of government and all that kind of stuff. And the bottom line is, say, hey, uh, the sky, they used to say the sky's the limit, but I, I really don't think that's the case. Do you? Pete? Well, they used to actually have a debt no. ceiling, and now they don't have that either, right? That's right. And and of course, there's this saying, uh, and, and unfortunately, Donald Trump has said this before, too, uh, in certain ways, that uh, deficits and debts are not of as much consequence as people think they are. And uh, I would say to that, yeah, that's true, until suddenly and spectacularly, they are consequential. And we can never really know when that happens, what point we reach that the United States' full faith and credit, its ability to continue its cash flows, comes into question by investors. And suddenly, spectacularly, we can't borrow any more money. And it's no strange coincidence that the word con is in the word confidence. And really what we're playing is a confidence Russian roulette game, aren't we, Pete? Yeah, yeah. And, And of course, do we have more room to borrow? Yes, we do. But no one, no one is expert enough to say the point at which our credit worthiness is no good anymore. And we never want to test that point. Well, we're going to. They say that debt is rising faster under um, Trump than it did under Bush and others. But they say Obama, it rose the fastest. The problem that I see for every president as this snowball continues to get bigger the consequences get bigger. And so it's not fair to compare Trump's time to, say, Nixon's time or the next president's time. Or, and I'm talking both sides of the aisle here. Um, yeah. Every time the new president takes a bigger debt, it grows faster as a result of the interest and as a result of the commitments. And I mean, it goes on and on and on. But every president is handed a worse scenario, aren't they? Yes, that's right. Now, they're making it worse, too. I get it. But I'm saying they're handed. They can't help what they're handed. They can't help what they do about it, maybe. But the problem is the snowball is almost too big for everybody, because even if the president wanted to reduce, would they let him? 
Yeah, that's the problem. And of course, there are certain programs within the federal government, like Social Security and Medicare, called mandatory spending or uh, automatic spending, which I, I think is incredible <laughs> to begin with. But setting and they use every word, by the way, for that kind of spending, whether it's mandatory, whether it's automatic, whether it's essential, they use every word but constitutional, sir. How come? That's right, because if they tried to use that word, they would be shown as wrong, frauds. Uh, because, unfortunately, what we're talking about here are programs that should and are within the complete control of our Congress and, uh, secondarily, our president uh, by proposing budgets. But they don't want to act like they're responsible for them, and uh, they won't make changes to the programs to ensure that they're structurally sound and constitutional. They're not doing it, and, of course, they are the drivers of future debts. Uh, to Kurt's point, we're looking at unfunded liabilities in our so-called mandatory programs approaching a good $70 trillion over the multi-decade horizon. And the problem is the horizon is narrowing. We already knew these programs were in deep trouble back in the 1990s when a fellow named Ross Perot was running for president. Well, the 1990s, that was 30 years ago, and we've done nothing to change course. We have run out of time for relatively easy choices here. Now, and believe it or not, not only have we done nothing to change course, we've doubled down in accelerating the problem. Yes, yes. And, of course, one of the reasons why the debt accelerated so much under Barack Obama was so-called stimulus programs during the Great Recession. Well, suppose we have even a recession that is half as bad as the Great Recession, that will severely accelerate a trend that is already alarming. Is the coronavirus the tipping point? Rush Limbaugh literally went on the air and said, hey, man, this is designed to take down the president. Now, I don't want to make it political, but the reason that I bring this up is, is this the beginning of the end of the unwinding? Or is this just well, a blip in the matrix? I don't know how you can answer that, but, it, it, you know, what do you think? If we enter a recessionary period that is as bad as the one we had in 2007, 2008, I fear we may not have the fiscal capacity to dig ourselves out. I mean, I, I think we had one shot at uh, all of this stimulus and this additional debt, and we've fired that shot already. If it happens again as severely, I, I don't know how the United States is going to fare. It could be very serious. Yeah, because we've already dropped interest rates over and over and over. We've already created stimulus. We've already basically used all kinds of, there's all kinds of words for this. But, you know, the only way is to start doing a negative interest rate where we're paying people to borrow money and things like that. I mean, we haven't tried that necessarily in recent times. But you're right. They're, they're out of options uh, is kind of the problem. I hope this isn't the unwinding because I don't want doom and gloom. I don't want thing to go negative. Now, I want us to return to honest money over time. Uh, but I don't, I don't want this to be a negative thing. I don't want the rug to be pulled out from under us because, really, at the end of the day, the American people are going to suffer tremendously. I mean, back yeah. in the day when we had real depressions and stuff, people were on farms where they, they weren't so dependent on the economy. But I'm dependent on the economy. You basically trash the economy. You trash my 401k, so there goes my retirement. Uh, you trash my ability to bring in money and sell my products and do what I do, even put that on hold temporary with the coronavirus, and I can't get my products. Instantly, I don't have any money. Uh, I don't have a lot of debt. 
But you know what? I don't know where I'd come up with the money for going to the grocery store. I can't just kill a chicken on my farm and last longer. Um, you know, it, it's a different time and a different reality that we all face. And I'm telling you, the impact would be tremendous. Uh, there's way more people in cities. I and mean, those things that turn into like animal farms, sir. Yeah, in many cases, that's the problem. Uh, we do have a different interconnected economy. And what happens overseas even can interrupt supply change and uh, chains in uh, ways that we don't expect. All right, quick pause. Pete Sepp's with us. I want to talk about Tash Cuts 2.0 and more. Kurt wants you to know, though, this is a Kurt Cosby, you know, he wants you to know other than that, it's not so bad, okay? Is that right, Kurt? That's right. It could right. be worse. You have maybe. It. Buy some honey. Everything will be sweeter if you do. Localhoneyman.com is where you get that done. Sam Curtin, a good advocate for lower taxes. NTU's president, Pete Sapp, on your radio. Pursuing liberty, using the Constitution as our guide. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. A World Health Organization spokesman saying today that the coronavirus outbreak is getting bigger. In Geneva, the organization reaffirmed a warning that the virus could soon reach most, if not all, nations on Earth. There are about 60 confirmed cases of the virus here in the United States so far. Yesterday, the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Robert Redfield, testified on Capitol Hill that Americans do need to take reasonable precautions. I'm going to ask them to obviously accelerate their own view of the standard things that we do for flu, hand washing, cough in your sleeve, don't go to work or school if you're sick. Pope Francis is postponing all his official audiences and other activities today. The Vatican says he's working from home as the pontiff is, in its words, still slightly unwell. On Ash Wednesday, he appeared to be suffering from a cold. And this is USA Radio News. Hi, this is Wayne Allen Root. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up now with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, they're not insurance. That means you can sign up at any time of the year. Liberty HealthShare has no network. You're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, providers, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 per month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families of any size. I joined. I'm a member. My four children are members. Liberty HealthShare saves me 18 thousand dollars each year compared to what i was paying for health insurance liberty health share is a non-profit ministry your money goes towards helping other members with their eligible medical expenses and in your time of need other members are there for you you can feel good knowing you're part of the community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens for more information call 855-58-LIBERTY 855-58-LIBERTY or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash wayne root that's libertyhealthshare.org slash wayne root Joe Biden is leading the polls in the state of South Carolina on this day before the Democratic presidential primary in that state at a time when Biden and the other candidates are saying that Bernie Sanders would be unlikely to beat President Trump in November. At a rally last night, Sanders said of Biden, I've known Joe for many years. He is a decent guy, but I don't believe that Joe can beat Trump President Trump is holding a rally in South Carolina tonight on the eve of the presidential primary there. He's been making a point of holding rallies ahead of Democratic primaries in an effort to take some attention away from his Democratic rivals. 
Authorities in Wisconsin say the gunman who killed five people and then himself at a Milwaukee brewery on Wednesday had been in a long-running dispute with a co-worker. Sources telling the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, 51-year-old Anthony Farrell believed that he was being discriminated against for being an African-American. And this is USA Radio News. I want to dedicate this song to Mr. Rupert Murdoch. Live on your radio. Hard-hitting talk. Sam Bushman, Kurt Crosby, and the legendary Pete Sepp on your radio. Pete Sepp, president of National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. Nonpartisan. All they want to do is put more money in the family pocket. And we want to be fiscally responsible. Imagine that in America today. He's at CPAC Live. And you know what? I want to talk about Tash Cut 2.0 a little bit because... And this is not the electronic replica of Pete No, it is not. This is the real thing. Right. Mm -hmm. This is a real thing, baby. (laughs) He's live and on demand right now. Both. How about that? Um, So uh, Rand Paul hit it best when they did the first Tash Cuts. Um, He said, I'm not really for this because there's some things in it that I don't like. But you know what? It's a no doubt trend in the right direction. And it's a start, and I would be uh, negligent if I didn't support it. But I'm going to support it with the idea that I'm going to push for 2.0. You know what? This is just a coming-out-of-the-gate plan, and we can do much, much, much more. And I think Rand Paul set the stage for the real answer, Pete. Yes. Yes, he certainly has. Now, there is a so-called Tax Cuts 2.0 plan that the administration is working on. Now, Larry Kudlow, the chief economic advisor to the president, has been talking about creating a slimmed-down individual tax system, something with, say, only two rates. Currently, we have more than half a dozen rates, and perhaps making it look a lot like the system that we started with in 1986 with tax reform, which was far, far simpler than what we've allowed the system to grow into. Maybe that's a starting point, but maybe we can go even further than that and say, why not think outside the box here? Again, uh, just as we were talking about earlier, our economy is facing new challenges. Maybe we should design a tax system and a spending system that is more resilient to those challenges. I got an idea. You ready, Pete? You can take this to CPAC Live. Just It came from yours truly, but I don't need credit for it. You can just take this plan all the way to the bank, buddy. Here it is. You know who Mr. T is in Rocky, right? Oh, yes. All right. What if we did the Mr. T plan? And what that would be is, you know, God gets 10% tithing. Why give the government more? Let's put government on Mr. T. And Mr. T would be 10% from every taxpayer uh, and tariffs. And government needs to live on those two, sir. Sounds eminently practical. And, you know, we would still be raising trillions of dollars of money. Uh, of course we would. Like that. It's certainly not saying we're going to cut back government 90%. Uh, Although we need we to cut. do that. That's a different topic. Yes. Yes. Uh, we do need to cut it. don't know if it's 90%. It's probably for an answer for depending on who you talk to. But the system you propose could still raise a great deal of funds uh, for those who think we only need to cut 10% from government. Well, what if you did 10% from the, every taxpayer, uh, and, and, you know, 10% from business and 10% from individuals and families, 10%, boom, but a boom, you know, 10%. We don't want to take more than God takes for tithing. We're the government. We're subservient to God. So we'll take 10%. Um, but yet then we'll get the rest from tariffs. 
I think that would be eminently doable, and I don't know that you'd even have to cut government much. And I'll tell you why. The economic pie is going to get much bigger when people are abused less. I can hire people. I can do, okay, there's more money that can be brought to the table is the point in these kind of simplistic plans as well. Yes, there certainly is. And, of course, a growing economy is a treasury's best friend. Sometimes government officials don't realize that, but you see examples of it all over the United States. I remember a lot of citizen activists in Tennessee this point that when communities around the city of Nashville were developing, encouraging economic growth, bringing businesses into their confines, the property tax revenues were so well, they could afford to actually have reserve funds. They could afford to build schools. They could plan for financial downturns because the natural consequence of economic growth, if you have a stable tax system, is higher revenues without raising tax rates on people. And that's something many government officials, I think, overlook. If you encourage a strong economy, you're going to get the revenue you need for your plans. You're going to get the revenue to set aside for when things inevitably turn down for a little while. What do you think of my Mr. T plan, Kurt? My only problem, Sam, is then the government's still going to have to check into you um, about that and uh, you know we yeah, they already do that where I know but um, so you know, I'm that's not one of the main reasons that. to eliminate that kind of thing I know uh, but we're not now, if you said it, if we could do it by via like a sales tax kind of thing where uh, everybody pays when they transact a business you know some kind of business at least to me that's the and, I, and uh, I'm, I'm agreeing okay with, with the 10 percent plan I'm agreeing uh, with Pete the problem is that or I'm, gonna, I'm agreeing with Kurt, Pete. The problem is when we change the game, though. Now you change that. Now you got a whole another contingent to battle, right? Well, you, you do, you do. Of course, nothing changes overnight either, and uh, that's something. Yeah, the current political conditions and how far we can push the ideas of liberty and freedom and fiscal responsibility. And what period of time? Because I, I think we are in a race against time here to at least start turning the ship from the iceberg. All right. So I'm going to change the plan and say Sam and Kurt propose the Mr. T tax plan, 10 percent sales tax and 10 percent tariffs. There are no other taxes. I think it would raise enough money to fund more than the proper role of government. What do you think, Kurt? I think you're right. All right, one. I mean, especially tariffs. if you figure the proper role of government. Yeah, but even even more so than that, how much money do you think we could raise? Do you have any idea between ten percent federal sales tax and uh, tariffs across the border at ten percent? Oh goodness, uh, we'd, we'd raise a lot of money because there's a lot of tariffs yeah. that are way below ten percent. Now you'd get a lot more money. Yeah, I mean, a lot depends on how you define the base. If you include all retail sales of goods and services, just uh, not just the narrower bases they've gotten. No, 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 I'm going to do all. All of it at 10%, I would imagine uh, a trillion and a half, two trillion dollars would be uh, quite feasible. On the sales, uh, just on the sales tax side, right? Yeah. And then what about 10% tariffs? What would that revenue be? 
that would probably be in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Sure. So between the two, you might get close to $3 trillion? I would say so. So government would have to take, what, a 30% cut and would have it done? Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, raising the rate uh, of sales tax could get you more. And people would still be paying one great deal less uh, in taxes under a rate like that. I mean, when you think about the fact you've got a payroll tax rate of more than 15%, 15.3 between businesses and individuals. We as individuals end up paying that anyway. You think of the embedded costs of corporate income taxes. You think of our own personal income taxes. You think of the excise taxes we pay. All of that just at the federal level alone. It's not that difficult for a middle-class family to give over more than 15%, even more than 20% of their uh, annual income in those types of taxes. If you're upper middle class, now you're talking real money, 25 30%. (laughs) Yeah, but if you reduced it to 10% on all that reality, though, businesses could flourish. Uh, You would have situations where there'd be a whole lot more money being generated as well. Yes, indeed you would. Because you'd be able to bring back and patriate or you repatriate your money, and unless you spent it in sales or unless you earned it in income, there'd be no tax on bringing it back. Second, it boomed into the economy in some way, 10%, boom, and a bomb. That'd be, uh, what, a couple trillion coming into the country alone from that? Yeah, and think about how businesses would be freed of time and effort at complying with the current tax system. I mean, that's what costs a whole lot of money. It's not just paying the actual tax. It's paying for all the compliance burdens that you have to undertake, all of the reporting, all of the filings. I mean, businesses don't just necessarily file a single annual tax return on their profits. They have to keep all kinds of records and exchange information returns. And if they're in the retail business, they've got sales taxes to administer as well and payroll taxes that would have to be administered for all of their employees. If a lot of those burdens went away, uh, they would have a lot more money to grow their own businesses too. Well, under my plan, they would go away, right? Yeah. Under Kurt's plan, they'd go away. So Kurt modified the plan. I I just changed it. So how many talk show hosts come up with plans when you're on the radio that are simple, that are doable, that make sense? So Sam and Kurt are proposing the Mr. T-Tax plan for 2020. There's a lot of T's in that, baby. Trust me. (laughs) However, Sam and Kurt proposed the Mr. T-Tax plan. 10% sales tax and 10% tariffs. And if you really doubled down on that, I think it would be doable to change the way we do it. It wouldn't be unconstitutional, really, at all. Now, sales tax isn't perfect. But, hey, it's not on the income side, and it doesn't pry into your family life. And you eliminate all the other taxes. Wow. I want to get Pete's response in seconds. How many people are think tanks like Liberty Roundtable alive, baby? I'd advise Mr. Trump to stop whining and go try to make his case to get votes. The press has created a rigged system. They even want to try and rig the election. Well, I tell you what, it it helps in Ohio that we got uh, Democrats in charge of the machines. And poisoned the mind of so many of our voters. At the polling booths, where so many cities are corrupt and voter fraud is all too common. And then they say, oh, there's no voter fraud in our country. I come from Chicago. So, so I want to be honest, it's not as if 
it's just Republicans who have monkeyed around with elections in the past. Sometimes Democrats have to. You know, whenever people are in power, they're, you know, they have this tendency to try to, you know, tilt things in their direction. There's no one. You start whining before the game's even over. Whenever things are going badly for you and, and you lose, you start blaming somebody else. Then you don't have what it takes to be in this job. Hi, I'm Patty, wife of former Congressman Steve Stockman. In Congress, Steve sought impeachment of Eric Holder for his corruption of the Justice Department and his fast and furious gun running that caused border agent Brian Talley's death. Steve called for arrest of Lois Lerner for her contempt of Congress as it investigated her targeting of conservative nonprofit groups. After four years, four grand juries, and millions of tax dollars, Steve Stockman is in prison. His case involved four checks to nonprofits. DOJ has one standard for Hillary Clinton, but another for folks like President Trump and my husband. We've spent all our savings, all Steve's retirement, and much of mine. Steve Stockman has fought for you and America. Won't you join me now to fight for Steve? To help, text FIGHT to 444-999. Text F-I-G-H-T to 444-999 or go to DefendAPatriot.com. DefendAPatriot.com. Live and on your radio, Pete Sepp, National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. So what do you think of the Mr. T tax plan, number one? And then number two, are others trying to think of plans like this, too? We just came up with this live on the air, sir. No script. You heard Kurt kind of push back and go, hey, man, I don't like that part, and here's why. And we just came up with it on the fly literally in less than two minutes. Wrote it down in a headline, and there's our plan. Are others coming up with plans like that, number one? And number two, what do you think of our plan, sir? Well, there are others who are saying, look, we need to go toward a consumption tax-based system. I mean, the fair tax is one example, a uh, 23% sales tax that's uh, been proposed to replace all of the current revenue in the federal tax system. By replace, I mean raise the exact same amount of money, and it would send what's called a prebate back to uh, every household in America equal to the amount of money they would need to make purchases as if they were a poverty-line family. So that's a somewhat different system, but uh, that's just one of a number of consumption tax-based systems that have been proposed to replace our current one. Yeah, the now, difference is to get the prebates and all that kind of stuff, again, like Kurt says, you have to pry into people's lives, you've got to get their incomes, you got to – okay, this plan is so simple, there's no – all you got to do is say, hey, everybody who's collecting taxes now, I mean, if I'm a business, I got to collect taxes in, in all kinds of states. Now it's very complicated. There's even software automated uh, artificially intelligent systems that help me do all that. All you'd have to do is just put 10% for the feds on there and boom, bada bomb. It's not even a collections nightmare anymore because they've already built the systems to do it. There'd be no prying into your personal lives or anything. Well, that is, that's certainly correct. Now, the prebates, of course, under the fair tax would go to all households. They tried to sort of uh, avoid having to ask what your uh, actual income is. It's more based on household size. But to your point, uh, you can make a system that doesn't even have prebates that is just a, a straight 10 percent, either at the cash register or if you're a business between the transactions you conduct with other businesses and that's your reporting obligation. And for an individual making purchases, there really isn't one. Uh, you would probably have a sales tax type collection system 
that uh, businesses would administer. Businesses would say, well, gosh, I've got this new federal sales tax burden, but I no longer have to worry about payroll taxes, my own corporate profit tax. So I think most business owners would take that trade. Amen to that. Now, is there anybody coming up with real simple plans, though? I mean, every plan I hear about, the more I hear about them, the more complicated they get. And I'm just like, man, I don't even know if I know how to compare if it's better or worse when they're done. Is there anybody that's got simple plans like that that are just simple, like we're talking about? Yeah, there aren't many. In fact, uh, I, I think that Probably the heyday of the simplest types of tax reform plans uh, would have been somewhere around 1995 or so when uh, there was the first Republican takeover of Congress. And you had folks like Newt Gingrich talking about thinking outside of the box. And since then, well, uh, those kinds of plans, uh, while very popular with the majority of Americans, just don't seem to be catching fire in Congress. And so we had more incremental steps. Uh, wouldn't you say, Pete, the key thing that uh, holds up any real fix to the tax system would be that if you take the Congress out of it, they have, well, literally no way to tell their buddies who want to contribute to them that they'll put a special deal into the tax um, yeah, law right for them. That reality and, uh, check. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's far less opportunity for Congress to exercise its influence on behalf of individuals and companies who desperately need help. And uh, that's kind of an underpinning of the entire political system is members of Congress get elected by being able to do favors. And if you shut down the favor factory, well, all of a sudden, these members of Congress might we'll be fail. out of work. <laughs> yeah, they'll fail. Speaking of the F plan. All right. Um, so let me throw this out to you. And, and this is kind of the problem that I see to Kurt's point is it's so complex. How are you going to even get it done? In Utah, they passed um, in the House and the Senate now this idea that we're going to get rid of daylight savings time. I'm bringing that up because daylight savings time is coming up, and I'm bringing it up because they just passed it in the House and the Senate. But then here's what they say. But it will probably never see the light of day because, number one, you got to have the governor sign it. And then, number two, it's based on the federal government passing a plan and then four states joining them in the West. Well, they basically passed it, but they put it into where it'll never succeed. And it seems like that's what they do oftentimes. Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid so. Uh, they'll, they'll attach so many conditions to something actually happening that it never does happen. Apparently, right. they've got to make it so that, uh, you know, four states around us do it. We've already got Arizona that does it. Uh, yeah, which I'm hoping that you can get, up, you, know. you know, Idaho, Colorado, Nevada. You know, maybe they would just say, hey, we'll quit messing with the clock. Yeah, you'd have to have Wyoming or somebody else to make the fourth state, too. Uh, so or Montana or what? I mean, it's just tough. I mean, it's how far? It, what would the real, they just made it to where it sounds good, but they'll never get it done. Why don't they just get it done like Arizona tomorrow? But they won't because they're chicken. All right, Hunter Biden's in the news, and I guess the IRS placed a tax lien, Kurt, on Hunter Biden. They're seeking a hundred and twelve, or uh, let's see, what is it? A hundred one hundred and twelve thousand eight hundred five dollars. In unpaid taxes uh, uh, from back in 2015. How come this guy's not in the clink, um, Pete? <laughs> well, 
most tax liens uh, that are associated with understating your tax liability or failing to report part of your income don't result in prosecutions on a criminal basis or jail time. For most people who go to jail over taxes, it's because they never filed a return in the first place or they did what was called substantial understatement of income or liability. In other words, they way, way lowballed their income uh, by 20% or more. Uh, so that's something you can read into it right there. If there's not a criminal prosecution of Hunter Biden and the amount uh, at stake is about $100,000, well, that means uh, it's probably not uh, at least 20% of his tax liability. What do you say to that, Kurt? Any more on this one? Well, I mean, I don't know what you're all worried about. Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, all those guys are just clean as the driven snow, Sam. I mean, there's no no there there. Well, then yeah. you ought to just elect Hunter, even if he's not running. Yeah, Joe. Think of that. Too, yeah. All right. Um, what else is at CPAC? Is anybody talking about the things we're talking about, Pete? Yeah, they certainly are. Of course, this being a political year, there's a whole lot uh, of discussion going on around uh, the presidential election, far less on the congressional election. But, you know, to the points that we were making very early on in the show, there's a lot of great things on a parallel agenda called CPAC Direct Action Training. So every day, in addition to all the big-name speakers you're hearing about, they have a lot of sessions that are nuts and bolts about becoming a better citizen, a better activist. You know, this Friday uh, that we're talking here today, uh, the sessions are, for example, crucial campaign skills, tools to help you get around tech meaning if you want your message to go on social media, how do you say it uh, in order to avoid being uh, having your posts removed? Uh, campus battleground, uh, how you work on campus to recruit folks on behalf of limited government, protecting the ballot box and defeating the left's voter fraud machine. Well, this is, an, it, it, this is important, not just in elections of candidates, but a lot of the ballot measures that I talk about often here to raise or lower taxes, have to make sure that those elections are being run cleanly as well, and that those who have an interest in keeping government big aren't committing things that uh, are thwarting your cause. So there are a lot of good technical skill-building sessions occurring here at CPAC that may not be getting the headlines because, again, they aren't big-name speakers, but they're really important. Well, that's where we're making a difference, folks. It is headlines for us. We have Pete Sepp live from CPAC on your radio highlighting these realities of what they're working on that the mainstream press won't report on. Yeah, it's unfortunate because there are so many success stories at the local level and state level that go underreported because the outcomes are often things that many members of the media don't like. I mean, this goes back to the days of Howard Jarvis, uh, the fellow in California who helped to pass the Proposition 13 property tax limit measure and touched off tax revolts in places like Missouri and Michigan and Massachusetts. He was regarded as just a crazy old crank, and most of the stories about him were about his curmudgeonly attitude. And uh, the truth is he got things done because he knew how to motivate 
thousands of people on behalf of a single cause. Those kinds of things often get glossed over because the media just wants to cover a personality. They don't want to cover the fact that lots of citizens were willing to put in time and effort to take back some of the government that was once accountable to them. Kurt, you want to respond? Well, imagine taking back a government that was once accountable to them. Wow. What a, an amazing idea, you know. Uh, Pete Sepp, uh, you know, we sure appreciate your reporting from CPAC. And, uh, you know, at least, uh, you know, it's interesting with this whole coronavirus thing. And Sam's kind of, well, I mean, he's Mr. Technology. It seems like it's almost the ideal time to uh, use, what, all this, uh, what, go-to-meeting kind of uh you know, software now, Sam, and hey, I use we, it every day. Greta, I use Greta it the U.S. Be, though. Yeah, that's right. Greta, Greta would be that. happy because uh, then, you know, nobody be flying or driving. Everybody just stay home and use Zoom and have maybe Zoom would just deliver your groceries too, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's an interesting time, isn't it? Hey, Pete, if we use modern terms, we could have Congress not literally meet in Congress. They could have a big old massive conference and then, you know, they could save all kinds of cash, buddy. Well, they certainly could. And of course, that would mean a lot of lobbyists would no longer have the uh, direct access that can uh, severely increase our tax burdens spending. Uh, they couldn't prowl the halls of Congress anymore. And uh, folks like me, uh, our shoe soles wouldn't be as worn down following these guys through the halls of Congress, trying to get them to stop. There you have it, Kurt. <laughs> wow, just imagine that. I mean, then you'd just have to just uh, be emailing them and texting them all the time, and they'd be home and with their families or something. I don't know. I mean, there's just well, uh, yes. It, yes. there's probably a silver lining in every cloud, and we just got to figure out what they are, you know, and somehow take advantage yeah. of it. And, and let's just remember the benefits of these technologies. Howard Jarvis and the folks in the tax revolts of the 1980s, they had telephones, they had knuckles that knocked on doors, they had mail. They didn't have the Internet or talk radio or any of these great tools we do. We can still keep the tax revolt going with these tools today. Wow. There's a lot of work we can do, ladies and gentlemen. Where I think you should start is with Pete Sepp, National Taxpayers Union. Create a local or a state group. Get involved. Make a difference. And you know what? You might not solve the world's problems by 3 o'clock, but you can certainly move the needle towards less taxes, more money in the pockets of Americans, and less in the hands of government. And you can certainly move the needle towards liberty one little incremental bit at a time. That's how they destroyed this country, and that's how we can fix it. Pete, final shot. Final shot is... Stay active out there. No matter what's happening in the rest of the world, your corner of it, you can make better. Travel safe, brother. Godspeed. Godspeed. Take care. We declare this nation shall endure. God save the republic.